So Luke 7 is where we will be today. And verses 18 through 35 will be our text. Luke 7, 18 to 35. We're in a series going through the gospel according to Luke. And so we continue there today. As John the Baptist sends his messengers and asks Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? So that's where our New Testament reading will be from. And so kind of hold your spot there. Or if you have a a marker that you can use, use that there. Or keep your finger there. And then turn to the Old Testament, to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3 will be read from that one. So Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 will be our Old Testament text. And then our New Testament text is Luke Chapter 7, verses 18 to 35, and Gertie is coming to read the scripture for us this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the man had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are risen up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is, is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, 
not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. And would you help us now as we've been uh, exhorted already this morning, would you help us to receive your word with meekness, uh, with humility, that looks to you as God, as the creator, as the Lord, and sees us as human, as created, as subjects. And would you help us to respond with repentance, with faith, with obedience, that we would give Jesus what he is due. So would you do that work in us by your spirit, even now, as we look into your word together, in Jesus' name, amen. What happens when Jesus isn't what we expected? What happens what we what we think we should get from him we we don't get? What happens when we think that a certain situation should be a certain way if that if that's going to be the right thing? But then it's not. And it's not. And it's not. What do we do when we don't get what we expect from Jesus? That's the heart of what's going on in this text. It fuels John's question. Uh, It informs Jesus' answer. It's seen in the response, the two different responses to Jesus. The response by the tax collectors and the, the people, the crowd in general. And the response of the Pharisees and the lawyers. Lawyers meant something different then than we think of now. We think of attorneys. Um, These would have been ones who are experts in the Mosaic law and looked to as teachers of God's word, looked to as leaders of God's word. And we saw the Pharisees and the lawyers, those who are experts in the law, reject the purpose of God for themselves, while the others declared God just. So we're seeing in this text again some of the things that we've seen kind of over and over again through Luke, right? That Jesus is indeed the Messiah. John is his messenger who is prophesied in Malachi 3.1, that he's the messenger who will go before the Lord, preparing the way before him. And we saw John do that in Luke chapter 3 just a few chapters ago. And now John is in prison and hearing about what Jesus is doing. His disciples came and told him all these things, the first verse of our text said. And that's what's been going on in the first part of Luke 7 with the centurion's servant who was on the brink of death and then the widow's son who indeed had died. The one was brought back from the brink. The other was brought back 
from the dead. And his disciples are going and telling John, this is what Jesus is doing. He's teaching. He's healing. He's raising the dead. And John isn't sure if Jesus is who John thought that he was. And you think about John, right? Jesus says, there's no one born of woman who's, he's greater than everyone who's born of woman. He's the greatest. And even the greatest, the one who baptized Jesus, the one who stood and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That man wondered if Jesus was really the Messiah when Jesus didn't do what he expected. Now, the text doesn't tell us what John expected Jesus to do, and there's lots of speculation about that. We don't know why John is not sure. Uh, Maybe he thought that Jesus should have been kind of taking over things by now. We know the disciples thought that a lot. It's like, hey, kingdom's coming soon, right? We're going to be on the thrones beside you. And they didn't understand how Jesus' kingdom was going to come. Perhaps John had some of those thoughts as well. But we don't know that for sure. Maybe Jesus should have been overthrowing the government and bringing his kingdom literally. Maybe John just thought, you know, if I'm God's messenger, if I'm the one who's preparing the way for the Lord, why am I stuck in this prison? Like, wouldn't it be the Lord's will for a preacher of the gospel, the messenger of the Messiah, uh, to be free? To go in and be that messenger. It's like, I feel, I feel stuck. I mean, he was literally stuck. Sometimes we feel stuck, but most of us, well, I guess all of us, uh, aren't in prison right now. But you can feel stuck. John feels stuck. Maybe I should have gotten out by now. If Jesus was really the Messiah, he would have done that. So we don't, but we don't know for sure. But we can be encouraged right at the outset that even John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the messenger of the Messiah. There was at least a moment where he didn't quite get Jesus. Where Jesus wasn't doing things that John expected him to do. And so he sent messengers to ask. And so we can, we can be encouraged that even John wondered for a moment and said, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? But let's also learn from his example. Because what did John do with his doubts? What did John do with his wonderings? He couldn't himself go to Jesus, so he did the next best thing. He sent people directly to Jesus. We see John taking his doubts, taking his questions to the Messiah. He went to the source. So we can be encouraged, but let us also learn from his approach. And Jesus answers in our text for today by saying essentially that he's fulfilling what Isaiah promised would happen. So what do we do with our doubts on the days when we wonder, is all this real? Is a new creation coming and we don't feel like singing? It is. Because it kind of feels like the dark is winning and is going to win. We can be encouraged that even John wondered that. And we can follow him in going directly to Jesus with our questions. And then we need to be reminded that Jesus will do all that has been promised. 
He will do everything that has been promised about him. And then Jesus talks to the crowd about proper responses to John and to himself. And so one of the key ideas coming out of this text is that we need to take Jesus on his own terms, not ours. Because when when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, he's not the one who's doing the wrong thing. He's not the one who's thinking the wrong way. He is the Messiah. He is the King. And we must trust him. So we need to take Jesus on his own terms, submitting to him in humble faith. He's the Lord before whom we bow. We can safely entrust ourselves to him, both now and forever, even when things are going the exact opposite of the way we expect. So the big idea kind of did some things backwards, like walking through what's happening in the text to get us to the big idea. And then the outline points are going to be, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to Jesus? So the big idea is this. When Jesus isn't what we expect, we must trust him as the promised Messiah. When Jesus isn't what we expect, we must trust him as the promised Messiah. Do you ever have times where what you expect from Jesus, that's, that's not what you get? That's not how things go? Where you thought, this must be the right thing, and it doesn't happen? What do we do in those moments? Certainly we have a lot to learn from John, and we have a lot to learn from this text. So first, we'll see that Jesus isn't what we expect. Jesus says at the end of his answer to John's messengers, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is offensive, sometimes even to us who follow him. Jesus isn't what John expected. Jesus isn't what the Pharisees and the lawyers expected. Jesus isn't what most of the people expected. Jesus isn't meeting expectations. People are saying, you're not, you're not doing it right. You're not doing the things that we thought that you should do. Now, if someone tells us that, we need to take heart and listen, right? But Jesus is God. He's God come in the flesh. And one of the things we learned from this text is that Jesus did not come to meet our expectations. He came to be the promised Messiah. See, the thing is, what most people expected from him was so small in comparison to what he actually did. Right? Where they have disappointment. They're going, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought you would do. You're doing it wrong. He says, you don't get it. You don't understand. I'm not just building a little kingdom over here with a few of you. I'm building a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son Quote from the song from earlier. From every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And I'm winning that battle through my sacrificial death in their place. Even his disciples didn't get this until after he had died. Jesus didn't come to meet their expectations. He came to do so much more than that. And it's true for us too. 
My vision is limited. But I tend to not think that it is, right? Do you ever do, you ever do that too? It's like, I understand this situation fully. How arrogant are we? Right? I get this. I know what should happen. I know when it should happen. And if God is at work, if God is real, we may even go there. If God is real, then this will happen. On my terms, at my time. Jesus didn't come to meet their expectations and he didn't come to meet ours either. He doesn't do things on our terms and on our time. He does things on his terms and in his time. And just like those first people who saw him didn't understand how big it was what he was going to do, I think there's a parallel there for us. With our limited vision, we think this is what it has to be. And God is up to something even bigger than we can see. And on this particular day, Jesus does Messiah things. And that's essentially his message back to John. It's like, hey, I may not be doing what you expect, but I'm doing what the Old Testament promised. So let's look at Jesus' answer to the question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In verse 21, in that hour, right after being asked that question, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now in what he's doing there, he's saying, John, you know the book of Isaiah, right? You know that prophecy? I'm doing those things. Isaiah 35, 4-6, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Jesus is saying, Remember Isaiah 35, John? That's what's happening. These are signs that the Messiah is here. Isaiah 26, 19, your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. And that's what Jesus did. He raised people from the dead. He says, it's it's happening. Or Isaiah 29, 18 through 19, in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Or the first first text that Gertie read for us from Isaiah 61. He was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. 
to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to those who are bound. He says, I'm doing maybe not what you expect in the way that you expect, but I'm doing what was promised. I'm fulfilling what was promised. So Jesus is the Messiah. John is his messenger. Jesus says in verse 26, what, did, what then did you go out to see, speaking to the crowds who had heard John preach? A prophet? He says, more than a prophet. He's the greatest. Then in verse 28, after saying, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wait a second, that, that doesn't make any sense. How, how can that be true? If John's the greatest, and now he's the least in Jesus' new kingdom, what, what does that mean? Does it mean that John was a nothing and a nobody? No, it's, it's highlighting that John was the end of an era. He was kind of the last prophet of the old covenant in this transitional time into the new covenant, preparing the way. You remember in Acts where there are some people that they run into who had, who had only yet heard of the baptism of John and repentance for forgiveness of sins, but didn't realize that that repentance for forgiveness of sins was made complete through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So John... He, he preached real truth and introduced the real Messiah, but his gospel was, was incomplete because it hadn't been yet fulfilled. He didn't completely understand what would happen, even as he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this isn't minimizing John. It's saying those of us who are on the other side of the cross and resurrection, who have the Spirit living in us, who know that Jesus lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live and haven't, and that Jesus died the death that we deserve to die so that we never will have to, and that he rose from the dead on the third day so that everyone who hopes in him will live with him forever. That good news shapes us. It changes us. We are in the new era, the last days, the era of the new covenant where we have the gospel in its completed form. We have the Spirit teaching us, leading us while we wait for Jesus to come back and right every wrong and make all things new. But we also see in this text two possible responses to Jesus. Right after Jesus said that, speaking about John, verse 29, Luke adds a note. It says, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So what do we do? Because Jesus often isn't what we expect, just like he wasn't what John expected or the Pharisees expected. What do we do? Well, first, we don't be offended. When Jesus isn't what you expect, don't be offended. Say, well, what, what does that mean? Jesus didn't, you know... I don't need to forgive him for anything. That's how we think about offenses. You did a wrong thing, and now it has to be made right. Jesus is saying, blessed is the one who doesn't stumble over me. 
And this is exactly what happens for the Pharisees. They stumble over Jesus. They are offended by him because Jesus is offensive. And it happens according to the scripture. Just like he does Messiah things according to the scripture. People being offended by him is also according to the scripture. 1 Peter 2, 6-8 through 8, For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Peter here is quoting from Isaiah 28, 16, Psalm 118, 22, and Isaiah 8, 14. To teach us that there will be people, even in this age, who stumble over Jesus. Who are offended by Jesus. And we even think of John 6. Jesus is teaching, and the saying is hard, we're told. This is a hard saying. Who can accept it? And in verse 66 of John 6, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? This is a hard saying. Are you done? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's how we respond. (laughs) Don't be offended. Realize that the answer to that question, shall we look for another, is no. No, we shall not look for another to be the Savior. But even for those who follow Jesus, you think of his disciples having a hard time with this, John the Baptist having a hard time with this. In what ways do we possibly reject the purpose of God for ourselves? In what ways do we expect Jesus to conform to our own expectations rather than what he has revealed? And then allow a barrier in our relationship with him. Because he hasn't done what we think he should do. The upshot of this text is that we must take Jesus as he is. Not as we wish him to be. We must take him on his own terms. And that's what he makes especially clear in the last five verses. In verses 31 through 35. He tells them that they didn't accept John or him. And they were very different from each other. They were very different from one another in their approach. And Jesus said, you guys weren't happy with either of us. You didn't listen. And they're telling Jesus, you didn't do what we wanted. So we have a right to reject you. Look back at verses 31. He says, to to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't weep. They're saying, "We, we played a happy song. We played a party song and you didn't party. We played a funeral song and you didn't cry. Do you ever have that with your children where it's like, this is what you're supposed to be right now. 
right? You need to do this. Whether you're playing princesses, that's what mostly happens in our house. Or you're playing something else and it's like, you're the this, and we're doing that. I'm sure that never happens to any parents here, right? And, it, and it's fun, and we go along, right? It's okay for kids to do that to their parents when you're playing a game. It's not okay for us to do that to Jesus. We don't tell him who he is. And we don't tell him what he does. It says, John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he is a demon. He fasts all the time and is out in the wilderness. He's crazy. Then verse 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You can't be like that. You can't love them. Don't you know what they're like? They're unclean. They're unholy. They're not the people that a real man from God would hang out with. But the problem isn't with Jesus. The problem is in what they think a real man of God is. They don't get it at all. And so Jesus kind of puts the cap on it. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Whether they look like fasting and living in the wilderness. Or whether they look like partying with tax collectors and sinners. They said, you didn't do what we want. And Jesus says, I didn't come to do that. I didn't come to do what you want. I mean, think about this, right? A God who always does what you want him to do exactly when you want him to do it. Who's God in that relationship? Is he? Or are you? Am I? When we're in those moments, right? If, if God thinks just like I do and does everything I expect him to do, he's not God. That's just something I've created. To get what I want. Maybe I recognize he's powerful and can do things I can't, but like, let's make sure I direct that the right way. You'll hear people say things like, well, I couldn't worship a God who... There's any number of endings to that sentence. But Jesus did not come to do what we want. That's not a God. Do we really want God? To the Pharisees, he could clearly say, it's not God come in flesh that you want. And for us, it can be the same. We don't really want God, the Lord of the universe, who's worthy of all honor and praise, and we just bow before him and say, what what would you have me do, Lord? It's not God come in flesh that we want, it's a genie in a bottle that gives us an unlimited amount of wishes. This is not who he is. So when Jesus isn't what you expect, don't be offended. Don't stumble over Jesus. Instead, join the people and the tax collectors from this text and declare God just. Don't be offended. Declare God just. And you say, I don't talk like that. I don't either. But it's what Luke said about what they did. And, and it, so that's what we're going with. 
Declare God just. What, what does that mean? We don't, we don't talk in that kind of language. It means to say that he is righteous and he does right things. He is right and he does what's right. Or the way the psalmist put it, Psalm 119, 68, you are good and you do good. And that's true whether he's doing what I want or not. That's just objectively true. My experience has nothing to do with whether he is good and does good. And so they declared God just. They said, yep, he's righteous. And he is doing the right thing. And the people who did that were the people who had submitted to the baptism of John. Which, you remember from Luke 3, was a baptism of repentance. A baptism acknowledging, I need to turn around and go a different direction. An acknowledgement that I need forgiveness for my sins. And so here they trusted Jesus. To declare God just means to say that he has done the right thing. That his plan of sending his son to save sinners and to do it through a bloody death on the cross, no matter how little sense that seems to make to our postmodern minds, we submit to it. We don't say like so many, well, God's committing some sort of cosmic child abuse. And that's terrible that someone would have to be punished for someone else's sins. It's what, it's what it says. We don't stand over this book and decide what's good enough for us. We sit under it. Because when we're standing over it, deciding what's good enough for us, we're doing that to Jesus. We're standing over Jesus and saying, you are not good enough for me. I can't have a God like that. We may need to repent. Because we have a God who has revealed himself clearly. And we look to him. And if you say, well, you know, I just really care about the words of Jesus and what Jesus did. It's some of the other parts of the Bible that I have really have problems with. But you still have problems with Jesus because of what Jesus himself said about the Bible. He said that every word of it would be fulfilled. Jesus loved, still loves, this book. It is his word, every bit of it, even the parts that are hard. And so what does a heart that declares God just looks like? It says, I'm, I'm submitting to you. I'm looking to you. What does repentance look like? You might say, God, I don't understand. I don't understand exactly what you're doing. I don't understand why things are the way they are. But I trust you. I trust that you know better than I do. I trust that you are doing exactly what needs to be done. 
You are doing what is best because you are good and you do good. And I trust that you are for me. Even if my situation screams that you're not. And how can we know that, that he is for us? God gave his own son for us. If he gave his his own son freely for us, will he not also graciously with him give us all things? When we wonder, is God for us, we run to a passage like Romans 8, 28 through 39. See, if God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one can. There is nothing that can separate us from God's Love. So don't be offended. Declare God just and then be prepared to follow. Be prepared to follow Jesus. Because the world rejected John. The world rejected Jesus. And the world which is offended by Jesus will reject us too. They didn't like John, they didn't like Jesus, and they won't like us, no matter how hard we try. And I know some of us have experienced that already. You're doing everything you can to love your neighbor, but just because you're a follower of Jesus, because you're one of those crazy people, you're talked about, you're excluded. That persecution is tiny in comparison with, with, with what the majority of our brothers and sisters face around the world, but it is real nonetheless, and we cannot avoid it. It is impossible. Now, we can never use that as an excuse to be a jerk, right? Well, they didn't like Jesus, they didn't like John. I just tell it like it is. But they don't like me because, you know, the Bible says they won't. Right? If people are going to stumble, if they're going to stumble and end up in hell, let's make sure they stumble over Jesus and the gospel. Let Jesus and his cross be offensive. That's offensive enough. You don't need to be offensive too. Let's let that be the offense. If they're going to stumble to hell, let them stumble over Jesus. And we say things like, well, I have the gift of discernment. I have the gift of exhortation. Those are to be used well, with vigor and force. I would submit that there is no gift of the Spirit that goes against the fruit of the Spirit. There's no gift that should supersede the fruit that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Now having said that, Jesus really is offensive. The gospel really is offensive. If there are moments where we have a hard time with it, think of those who are like, there can't even be a God, let alone a God who would come in the flesh and die so that people who trust in him can live forever. What's, What's forever? This is all we've got. In a pluralistic world where everyone has their truth and all religions are equally valid, Jesus says, I am the way, 
the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In an inclusive world, and we're all tempted toward this. Everything's fine. We're all fine. Everything's good. In an inclusive world, Jesus is shockingly exclusive. There is one way. There is one Savior. Or the way Paul put it to Timothy is that there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. So yes, Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus was not afraid to call sin, sin. Jesus was not afraid to tell people that they were sinners who needed saving. Jesus was not afraid to tell people that they would perish forever in hell if they didn't turn from their sin and trust in him. But we're too polite for that these days. We know better. We're in a more enlightened age where you don't proselytize. Especially at work. You get up high enough in the white-collar world for sure. It's like, well, we, we just don't talk about those things. They're the things that are going to last forever. We don't want to be too polished, too professional for Jesus. And Jesus understood that his calling included Suffering, that he would suffer for what he did, for who he was. And so as we think about what is right and wrong, we don't take our cues from the culture on what is right and wrong, about what we should do or not do. We don't apologize for something just because our culture has now decided that something is wrong. We are told what is right and wrong in God's word. Neither Jesus nor John did what their culture wanted or expected, what their culture thought was right. Instead, each did what God had called them to do. Because now we're not just being told to to tolerate things and put up with things. We're being called to celebrate. We're being called to join. If you don't join with us, you are against us. The Apostle Peter anticipated this time. 1 Peter 4, 3-5, through he said, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They really will. And so will we. And so we must not give in. And so kind of the the obvious one is like LGBTQIA, however many letters there are this week, issues. But our whole sexual ethic as Christians should be shocking and different. Wait, what? You, You guys aren't living together before you get married to try it out? I mean, that, how are you going to know if you're compatible? I mean, having, like, you need to make sure your, your drives are compatible. Like, and what's wrong with that? What kind of God would deny you that sort of happiness? A God of love would want us to be happy. 
Those are the kinds of things we hear. We need to stand as much against that as the things that we perceive as like, well, they're the really bad ones. Do we live with a different sexual ethic than our neighbors? And this applies to so many things. Where we must be very sure of what God has said. And be ready to submit to him. Not just so that we can tell other people where they're wrong. But so that we can see where where we are and we can repent. And we can follow him. So they're going to be surprised when you don't join them. It's like, wait, what? Come on. Everybody does that. It's fine. It's right. Who would say that it's wrong? So they'll be surprised at that, but we also do want to surprise them with our love. Whether it's with the way we care for refugees, whether it's the way we care for people who are coming to us from the nations, whether it's the way we pray for people who are detained at borders. We want to surprise people with our love, not with our politics. We want people to be able to say when they get to know us, but I thought Christians didn't care about. I thought all you cared about was you know, being, being by yourselves and being, being alone and being holy over there. I didn't know you cared about that. I didn't know you would care about me. Because what did we see at the top of our text? Jesus loves to save the weak, the poor, the sinful, the broken, physically and spiritually. And he intends to do that through our love for them and our proclamation of the gospel to them. So are we prepared to follow? It's not an easy path. It's not, oh, well, Jesus is sort of offensive sometimes, but like, that's, that's no big deal. I can go along with him. No, he's God, and we are not. When Jesus isn't what we expect, we must trust him as the promised Messiah. Jesus, Jesus did not promise a pain-free, happy-go-lucky life. He promised forgiveness for those who repent and believe. He promised, promised suffering and misunderstanding, just like he faced. And he promised eternal life with him. So we must take Jesus on his own terms. It makes me think of in the Chronicles of Narnia when the children are trying to find Aslan, they haven't met him yet. And they're staying at the beaver's house in the line, the witch in the wardrobe. You got that one? That's awesome. And there's a moment where they're talking with the, with the beavers and they're asking about Aslan. They've heard of him, but they don't know him. They haven't yet met him. And they're asking, what is he like? And Mr. Beaver says, he is not a tame lion. And Lucy asks, is, is he quite safe? The answer is, he's not safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. And he is the king who gives his life for us so that we can have life with him both now and forever. It's not what we expect kings to do. It's way better. It's way bigger. It's deeper. It's higher. That's what he's doing even now. 
in the very situation where you go, this isn't what I thought it would be. This isn't how I thought God would work. Let's trust him. He's the promised Messiah who has promised to be with us all the way to the end and has promised to come back for us so that we can live with him and with all his people forever and ever and ever. What grace. What a savior. Let's pray. Oh God, would you help us to submit to you to trust you, to take you, to take Jesus, your son, on your own terms and not ours. Would you forgive us for the ways that we try to mold you in our own image? And would you help us, would you reveal to us ways that we're doing that and don't even know it so that we can repent and trust in you and walk with you, following Jesus on the road of suffering while we wait for eternal glory. In Jesus' name, amen.